Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today we are joined for the second time by Golf Channel analyst and former PGA Tour winner Aaron Oberholzer. The pre-podcast conversation was a fascinating one, so I decided to roll without the usual intro, so we'll jump right into it. Thanks for listening, and as always, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Without further ado, here's Aaron Oberholzer. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. more of a restoration they wanted to bring it back they wanted to bring back the mckenzie bunkering because because alistair had done the original bunkering at cal uh, mccann did the routing in the greens and then mckenzie did the bunkering so the bunkering is all especially on the back nine is all like right where it was supposed to be in the in the 20s and the teens when he built it it's that's a, the back nine's a full restoration the front nine because of eminent domain he had to create new holes so he tried to get it back to kind of sort of what it was like, but the front nine is kind of a new nine. Yeah, they have that, what is it, six, seven, eight are all new holes? Yes. Uh, uh, seven's a new hole, eight's a new hole. Um, uh, let's see, two, three, two, three, four, seven, and eight are all new holes. Mm-hmm. Three's two, pretty three, cool. four, seven, eight. Two's, yeah. They're all good holes. It's they're a- all great holes. He did a great job. The uh, the great thing is the fescue and how it plays firm and fast. You Isn't know? that unreal? I mean, we got guys. We got guys now who really know golf coming out of there and like quietly whispering to all of our membership when they see us. It plays better than San Francisco Club, but you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> it's pretty funny to hear that. I love I love hearing that because it just whenever it gets back to an SF Club member, they just go, oh, they get all pissed off. That's uh, I like. I love the I love the way Cal Club plays. Like from a pure architecture standpoint, yeah, I yeah. give I give San Francisco a little bit of a nod. Well, it's it, but the only reason San Francisco I think gets the nod is from the is because of the blue blood history. Mm-hmm. That's it, and it's you know. But honestly, the the I can't remember the guy's name, but the president at the time I went out I, and I've played San Francisco, you know, twenty times, maybe a little more, maybe a couple more times than that, and. It's great. I mean, it's awesome. But when he made the decision and the, it was split on the board and it just barely passed to take it back to um, Tillinghast's original design from, mm-hmm. in my opinion, it actually took away from the golf course. I like the golf course the other way. They, they like changed holes like, I don't know, 12, like 13, 14, 15 or something like yeah. that uh-huh. and and took it back to the original tilling ass design and i i didn't like it at all i liked the of course the old way when i the way i played it in college and just after college it's um zach's caddy but, andy martinez said that too yeah, Le- did he legendary say caddy yeah 
Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't like what they did. And the guy came up to me and asked, asked me right after I finished my round there, the last, I think it was the, either the last time or the time before last that I played. And I said, quite honestly, I said, I said, you want my honest answer? And he goes, absolutely. I go, I don't like it. I told him right to his face. Probably why I haven't been inviting back there, <laughs> you know, in a long time. But I just, yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. Didn't like it at all. I, I like the old golf. I like the old golf course better. I I didn't play the old course. I I really like fourteen. I think that's a. I think I like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I I love those people. Like a lot of people said stuff about those holes, like and how they didn't like them to me and Zach, and both of us mm-hmm. kind of were like. Those are like some of our favorite holes on the course, which is kind of crazy. I mean, I well, think you got, but you guys didn't play the play yeah. the design previous. Exactly, like so thirteen. I, I think you, you you might change your mind if you would have played the old design. Yeah, I think twelve yeah. might be one of the best holes ever. Twelve. Let's see, ten, eleven, the par three. Oh, phenomenal par four, absolutely. <laughs> and I think what's lost on that golf course is just how good the bunkering is, and where Tillinghast put the bunkers, and the shaping of the bunkers, and the visuals of the bunkers. Funny thing is, I I like the back nine there, I do, but because of the way they changed it, I, I'm not as big a fan of the, of the back nine anymore. The front nine is like a lesson in in golf work architecture, yeah. in my opinion. The front nine at SF Club is some of the is some of the greatest not is the, one of the greatest nine holes of golf I've ever played. There's no doubt for shot values for every shot value around that front nine, it is awesome. One of my favorite nine holes in all of golf. The, 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 two, the two par threes, just incredible. Um, you know, it's just it's just a, a special, special nine holes. The back nine, uh, like I said, for me, my money, I'll take the older nine. It's just okay. 10, 10 and 11 are great. 12 is great. But then you start at 13 and go 13, 14, 15. And then I think 16, it, it, it gets back to normal again. I think, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, that's still an original hole. Yeah, and then seven, seventeen, and seventeen's one of the best par fours in in California. Yeah, that's uh, a great um, par. Eighteen's a good, uh, uh, and eighteen's a good, solid, you know, fun eagle opportunity finishing hole on the back. I'll tell you what, walking down like the eighteenth on an afternoon out there, because like there's nobody out there, is like kind of yeah. like a one of like the coolest, but also like eerily eerie feeling you'll ever have in golf, like. I mean, the sun's going down and, and there's just nobody out there. And you're just like, you just had like a great golf experience too. Yeah, yes. no, it is. And, and see, and that's, you know, that's what, that's, that's, I think where, where SF gets the nod for most for that, because you, because there's so few members and so few of those members play on a regular basis, they're able to have that kind of experience for everybody out there. Everybody gets to kind of have that experience out at SF, whereas you don't get that same experience at Olympic Club. You don't get it at Merced. And to a certain extent, you don't get it at Cal. Um, you know, Cal's probably, in my opinion, the closest. SF's really the only course that produces that, that feeling you're talking about. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. I just, I'm always, at places I walk it, I, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like that feeling. So yeah. I, I just, that feeling of kind of that uppity staunchness that give, that's a minus to the club in my opinion. And SF kind of gives that air. Cypress gives that air. So they're always, they're, they're not, that's why those two aren't in my top five of all time. I don't, you know, that's why I don't put those guys. So it, it's just a, it's a feeling for me that I get on these deals that I just don't 
that that air I don't like. The uh, Cal Club vibe and just like everything about like how the golf course is presented, how you know the club works, everything there yeah. is like top notch. Like, well, when when Al, you, did you meet Al Jameson? Yeah, I've met him a couple times now. He's, yeah. he's so, so Al's like a father to me, another dad to me, and I've known Al since I was fourteen. And when he came to me with the vision of Cal and what he wanted to do to it, uh, I was probably in my, let's see, I had, come to think of it, I think I just won AT&T. So he came to me and he says, here, this is what we want to do. This is what we're, we're want to do. And he was the president at the time of the, of the changes and the change of the way the changes got voted in. He's really the catalyst for why, why the club is the way it is right now. This, that's his legacy. He turned this club around. Single-handedly, practically, turn the club around. Um, and, and I said to him, I said, Al, your goal, in my humble opinion, your goal is to, should be to make this um, the whisper rock or plantation of, in the desert plantation, yep. uh, of Northern California, the players club. The club the guys want to come to, to play. Now, obviously, we allow women. Uh, not to be members, but they can play at those other two places. They don't even want them to play half the time. Um, but, um, but that I said that should be the goal of the California Golf Club is to be the players' club, not a staunch uppity club that you have to be a blue blood to get into like SF, but not Olympic club where, you know, the masses play yeah. uh, and they have fifteen hundred members, um, and not a country club. It's a yeah. golf club. For people who love golf, know golf, love to compete, and are good players, and that that should be the goal, only with old school design principles versus new school stuff. And that I think he did. A, I think the guys did a good job accomplishing that, Andy. I I would uh, wholeheartedly agree. I, I've started to think this new theory about tour golf, and you know, I I'm a big believer that par doesn't really matter. And something yeah. I would rather have people judge a golf course on is how many different types of shots does it require the world's best players to hit? Because that's yes. you know why they're Very the good. greatest players in the world. So like Cal Club was one that jumped to mind. Like, what do you think a winning score would be at Cal Club if they hosted a PGA Tour event? But would it be a, a more well-rounded test of golf? Well, that's a great question. I, I think the guys would tear Cal apart quite honestly i really do if you um because it would play so short because cal is is now fine fescue and bent everywhere and we've sand capped the whole golf course and we are we are we're as as we like to say around the club every once in a while we're down with brown meaning it's cool if the golf course browns out a little bit we're not going to freak out we don't need to a, a quote unquote as i call it augustify it um, and not everything has to be sparkling green, emerald green everywhere. We don't believe in that at California golf club. Um, we want to see the ball run. We want to see it run, run hard. We turn the sprinklers off. We hand water a lot. Um, which is in my opinion. We, what did they do in the twenties? Well, what they did in the twenties, they didn't have triplex mowers and they didn't have Norelcos basically that shaved the greens down to nothing. That's for sure. So the grass grew a little longer. It played slower. There's no doubt. But in the wintertime, but they didn't have the fancy watering systems they have now too. So in the wintertime, when it rained in the Bay Area, which was obviously fairly frequent, um, it'd play soft and slow. 
But in the summertime, when the rain stopped in late May and wouldn't come back until early to mid-October, that place was a racetrack, an absolute racetrack, as racetracks go back in the 20s and 30s. Um, and that's how we want it to play now. We want that sucker to play like a racetrack from June 1st to as long as we can get it to stay, to stay dry. And then hand water as needed, throw on a sprinkler here or there just to, you know, just to give it a little moisture so the grass doesn't completely freak out. But stressing fescue, from what I've talked to uh, Thomas Bastis, who was our old superintendent, who's schooled me on a lot of this stuff, um, stressing fescue is good. And it also helps keep the poanna out because poanna likes moisture and we don't want the poanna in there. So the drier we keep it, um, the more I believe it is I, this. I can't remember. Is it alkaline or acidic? That Poana doesn't like. I don't I think, think it's. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember. One of those two we want more of, and I can't remember which one it is. Thomas told me, and I just forgot. But we want to keep the grass one of those two more, so it keeps helps keep the Poana out. So whatever keeps the Poana out, because that's kind of when the guys told me about how they were going to rebuild Cal when we rebuilt it. That's that's how he did. It. And now to get to your original question, because it plays so firm and fast, guys are going to be hitting flip wedges in everywhere, Andy. So. We'd have to turn one into a par four, and we'd probably have to turn 17 into a par four. Mm-hmm. So one and 17 would have to be par fours. We'd have to play it as a par 70. And even then, I believe the winning score would be somewhere around, let's see, that's 280 as a par for four rounds. So I'd have to say the winning score would probably be in the mid to low 260s. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. So, yeah, it'd be somewhere between 14 and 20 under, I think, would win at Cal. And that's if you got the greens to 12 and you and you put proper pins out there. So, proper it, tour pins. My whole theory goes around removing no the rough. idea, no the, removing the idea of score. But would yeah, Cal, yeah. Cl- would Cal Club require a player to hit more types of shots and be a better test than, say, like last week's course, PGA National, where everything's through the air and you know kind of oh, tells you no doubt no doubt because you can you can use the ground at cal you there the one thing that kyle phillips built in when he when he redid cal the one thing he built in was he built in options so it's shaved everywhere there's very little rough and what rough we have is a, what, what you would what, what augusta or what, it, what you would call a first cut now like two inches tops maybe an inch and a half in spots. And so, you know, when you miss a green and it rolls down, you sit there and you go, okay, do I, what do I want to do? Like, especially the front aprons of greens. Okay. Do I want to bump this in? Cause you have that option in with fine fescue. Do I want to fly it on? Do I want to take that opportunity off this tight fescue and fly it on? Do I want, you know, do you have options? Can I, I can putt it. Um, I can take a hybrid. I can take a seven iron. I can take a four iron. The one thing that Kyle wanted, he wanted options because that's what McKenzie gave you if you really looked at the way he designed golf courses back in the day. He gave you angles and then he gave you options. Mm -hmm. And if you missed an angle or you missed a proper play off the tee, now your options are limited. (laughs) So so it really actually, funny enough, starts with the tee ball, even though 
you would think, well, that's the more of the thinking of a U.S. Open style golf course. Not so much, in my opinion. You have to create angles on a McKenzie golf course in order to give yourself more options. And if you don't, your options become drastically limited as you move along with poorer and poorer angles. Yeah, it it, it kind of goes to the thinking of like what are what are the everybody's favorite golf courses to watch championships played on Augusta, yeah. the old course. These are places yeah. with the old course doesn't care what you shoot, but what it is about is having all the shots in exactly. the in your arsenal to win. And and that's what so many PGA Tour courses don't do anymore. And and everybody's become so fascinated with par and difficulty that I think that's been lost is like how many golf shots does this require? Yeah. It's different I call types. It, I, I call it I've called it forever, even on TV. Uh, I think when I when we get in discussions about this, which is rare, but I've done I think I've I've had a few discussions on this in the past with guys, it's shot values. Mm-hmm. What kind of shot values do, does the course present itself? I think Cal presents itself with a lot of great shot values, uh, not only off the tee, but as far as second shots. I think the par threes are very underrated at Cal. Um, I think uh, that our our old seventh hole, now sixth hole, might be the toughest. It's a par three, <laughs> yeah. but we call yeah. it the toughest par four in the area. <laughs> You've um, got to hit it on like a blanket there. Or else dude, it's you're a try- you're on a, Andy, you're trying to literally hit it on the hood of a freaking Volkswagen <laughs> when uh, with it blowing downwind off the left, which is the prevailing wind at, yeah. you know, 10 to 20 miles an hour some of the time the first so the first time i played it i hit it to like six inches and i was like oh this this hole's not (laughs) Not that hard and then then the next time i played it i I think i like struggled to make bogey (laughs) oh yeah it's it's that's why we we call it the toughest par four in the the bay area so for a reason so that's been there all the time but but kyle built we had to build a few new holes on the front nine um, just to, 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 to try to bring back some of the old holes before eminent domain, uh, built Westboro Boulevard right there and took away some of our original holes. Um, so, so he did a good job. Number two, three, four, all new holes. And then seven and eight are new holes. And eight is the other next is the next par three, 240 yeah. yards, probably plays about mm, 12 downhill. And then again, down and off the left. Same direction. That's the only thing I don't like about eight is it runs the same direction as number six, so you don't get a different wind. But it's a different challenge with a different club and elevation change. And, and, and that green nasty. That green runs uh, back or front to back too. Even exactly. Even though it's pitched from back to front, mm-hmm. it's fast going from front to back, man. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's really a weird. That's the way the way that land sits at Cal. I think that that has a lot to do with how difficult those greens play and putt. And even on the old golf course that was bastardized for years by greens committees who thought they knew what they were doing. Um, you, you always look to, you always ask yourself, where's the airport? Where's SFO? Mm-hmm. Cause everything's going to SFO, especially on that back nine. Everything's going to SFO. Um, and it, it, it's not, it's not that much different now that land still kind of, everything wants to go to SFO except for a couple of holes that you really have to have some local knowledge on. Um, but I think the guys, they'd still take it low there, but if you're in relation to par, which I know, um, you're not a huge fan of, but it, uh, but as people understand it in relation to par, I think guys would take it low, but they would have a blast playing it for four days. Yeah. They would have an absolute blast because they would have so many different shot values. 
to uh, to look at wedges, long irons, mid irons, short irons. Um, that you got to hit all the shots. You got to hit cuts. You got to hit draws, high, low. You, you got to play a lot of different shots around that golf course to be successful, especially if they get that twenty mile an hour northwest wind. Yeah, I think you'd also see like you'd see that Riviera variety where you have all different types of players. It's not just a pure ball strikers course. Like, you know, no. you'll see flushers up there at the top, but you'll also see guys that just have like a knack of getting it done inside 125. They're kind of magicians and are able to yeah. pull off these, you know, these cool shots from being short-sided on short, short grass. You know who I think it would, would play really well. There are the guys like Kevin, Na, mm-hmm. Kevin, the Kevin Na's of the world. Um, the, the grinders, uh, at Cal, especially when the wind blows. Cause the, the great equalizer on that golf course is, is the wind. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, uh, uh, people would say to me that, no, the course would go, Aaron, why wouldn't you change 15 into a par four instead of 17? Well, number one, 17, even though it's like 540 yards, it's straight downhill downwind. So, and you can run it onto that green and that green kind of goes from front to back to a certain extent towards the SFO. Yeah. The reason I wouldn't say that about 15, even though 15 is only 495 yards or 490 yards, <laughs> it's straight long. uphill <laughs> and it's dead into a 20, 20 mile an hour breeze. There have been plenty of days I've hit driver driver and have come up short of that course. And that was when I was healthy Yeah. But, and I still had speed and I could, I, I could still pop it out there a decent ways. You know, uh, I mean, it, uh, only on a calm day can I get a driver and a hybrid there. Yeah, to, uh, in, in these these days, that holds, only on a holds calm, a beast fast day for four ninety. It's I, I mean, especially in the afternoon when that that damp air comes in. Oh my oh, god! Oh yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. And you know, it, it, depending on what time of year you played the, the tournament there, I mean, it could. It, it's much like Pebble Beach. You know, that whole area, that the microclimates that that stretch throughout the Bay Area to Monterey to the Central Coast, where I grew up. You could, it could be, it could, you could be dying of heat out there, you know, like you can in August and September, or like you said, your fingertips are going numb this time of year, mm-hmm. you know, when that, even on a sunny day, when that Northwest wind comes in and nature's air conditioner kicks on, your, your, your fingertips are literally going none. You lose your touch, you lose your feel, and it becomes a lot, a lot harder golf course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's so, it, it, that's kind of I, I we I was getting ready for this podcast and I just was was thinking about golf courses. I started thinking about Cal Club and I just started I was you know I think it's more about hitting shots than score. Yeah, I I, I it's think that's obviously I think score. That's well said, Andy. Yeah. yeah, I I that's kind of how I judge a golf course. That's why I look at that's why I think I look at Pasatiempo the way I do. Oh, um, Pasatiempo is 6,600 yards with one foot in the back rough off of every tee. That course is and, awesome. And it's all you want. It's all you want. If they, if they get those greens to, they don't even need to get them to 12. They get them to 11. It's all you want. <laughs> there aren't many you know? pin positions on a few of those greens with greens or with, with green speeds at 11. <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean, you lose so many pins on those greens, even getting them to 11. I agree. You're, you're limited for sure. Did you you watch the golf yesterday? Is JT the best player in the world right now? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that I've I've seen the arguments on on Twitter about how he should be the best player in the world. Um, you know, wins is how everybody's judged, and over the last what is it, sixteen months, he's got is it seven, seven. wins or eight wins? Seven, seven wins, wins over the last sixteen months. 
And uh, no one has that many wins over the last 16 months. It's hard to say he's not if that's if that's your measure. Um, there are there are definite things that are wrong with the, the official world golf ranking. But when you look at what he's done and you go down his OWGR finishes, okay, he hasn't been as consistent as Rom, even though he hasn't even though Rom hasn't won as much. He hasn't been as consistent as Rom number over the last year and a half. He he hasn't been. Uh Rom's had more top fives, da 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 all that. But um he I don't I'm not I I can't I I I compared him and Rom. I didn't compare him and Speed. But there's a reason why he's still third mm-hmm. uh, and not number one. And I believe that, that you can go ahead and make arguments for the against the OWGR all you want, and, and they would probably some of them would be valid. Um, but for the most part, it's it's consistency. Uh, and divisor, I mean, you know, if you keep your divisor low, you can kind of game the system to a certain extent, quite honestly. That's kind of the biggest flaw in the, in the whole system is. A, a, a guy who plays more is penalized yeah. for the most part. Um, and so until they fix that, until they truly fix that, I don't think they've fixed it completely. Um, then guys are still going to be getting penalized for playing more golf versus playing less golf. Um, so to answer your question fully, uh, right now he's playing the best golf uh, I believe could, over the last, I, I'm going to go this way over the last, over the last year, he's playing the best golf of anybody in the world. There's no doubt. If you take the last year better than DJ, better than Jordan, even though Jordan, they both have a major. Um, but, but he's playing the best golf. Uh, when he gets it going, there's not a lot of people that can stay with him. Actually, DJ can stay with him. Spieth needs his A game to stay with him. Um, Rory, def- Rory, in my opinion, needs his A game to stay with him. Um, but there's not a lot of guys that can that, that there's not no one can beat him without their A game. Yeah, no one can beat uh, no one can beat Justin without their A game. There's no doubt when when Justin has his A game, I, uh, it's, it, it's proven to be as good as anybody's in the world. I watched him at Riv uh, for those first two rounds with Tiger, and I, I just forgot how good he was. And the thing, and he did it last night was like the thing that it, it's the the wedge play with everything else. He's you know he's a great driver of the golf ball. He's a great iron player. He's a great wedge yeah. player now, and he's a great putter. It, it's just, yeah. I mean, everybody's got their defined like great skill. It's like you. you you bring up John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, or Rory, you're going to talk about their driving ability. But with mm-hmm. with Justin, it's everything. Yeah, he he's got a he's got a very well rounded game, and he's worked extremely hard to get there. Uh, and him and his dad have addressed the right areas at the the right time in the right way. And he he hasn't done it overnight. It's taken a lot of work. Because when he first came on tour as a young guy, I remember looking at the stats going, oh, my God, this kid can hit it off the planet on, at any given time, and he doesn't know which direction it's going off the tee. But if he ever learns how to dial it in, he's going to be really hard to beat. And then I remember looking at him going, Jesus, if this kid could make a putt inside of 10 feet, he's going to be tough to beat. And then I looked at him and went – then he figured that out, and I go, Jesus, if this kid could, could, could hit a wedge close to the hole, he's going to be a world beater. And then he figured that out. 
So he's figured everything out step by step, you know. And and then I, then finally I finally said, now if this kid can play with a lead, he's gonna be he's gonna he's gonna be right there with Spieth, DJ, and those guys. And he's learned how to do that as well. Um, so it's it, it it's 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 a step by step process that he and he's followed every step that he's need to and, and he's addressed every issue that he's had within his game and he's done it in a manner. Um, pretty much better than everybody else. And, and I'd put him right up there with DJ as far as the way he systematically kind of changed his game uh, to what he needed to do to be one of the best in the world. Um, uh, Jordan is close there too, but the, the issue I have with Jordan, and I, and I love Jordan's game, but he's never going to have ridiculous speed and distance like like. DJ yeah. and Rory and Justin or Rom. He's not going to, he's never going to be there. And quite honestly, in the era we live in, that is going to be a detriment. And I said it three years ago at the Masters when he won by four shots and shot 18 under, and everybody was like, he's going to dominate. And I said, no, he's not going to dominate. And I got killed for it, got killed for it on social media when I said that on, on air. I said, no, he's not going to dominate. And Ryan Burr, who's my host, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, because putters go cold, number one. We've seen that. Putters go cold. And distance dominates in this day and age. And, and Justin has that. And he does, he's not going to have to – he's not going to wake up and automatically lose 20 yards off the tee. Um, so that's a massive advantage that he has along with Rom. But – He's been quicker to refine his game. Uh, Rom's still got a ways to go. He's still a lot. He's still younger, obviously, and has more time. Has a little has more time than than Justin, even though they're both young. Rom still has more time um, to get that done. And when Rom does the same things as Justin does, because yeah. Rom's not there yet with his wedges, with his short game, uh, with his play, with his with his refining the little things that that uh, JT has. When Rom does it, oh my gosh. Then we're we're in for a treat because DJ's already there. He could probably refine his putting even more, in my opinion. I think that's always something he can do better. Um, but Rom's a good putter. Uh, Rom just needs to refine his some of his iron play, some of his wedge play. Yeah. Uh, and um, his putting's pretty good. There's no doubt. He's an excellent putter now. But when those that iron game from 125 to 175 and some little wedge stuff gets fixed on Rom, holy mackerel, he's going to be him and JT. Uh, are going to give uh, Justin, or excuse me, Dustin, a run at number one. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Yeah, and then we'll be talking about like uh, guys like Sam Burns and and Cameron Champ, uh, like the, oh. we're talking about JT. It's it, the young, the youth explosion is is just insane out there. Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy, and uh, uh, you know, and, and there are some there are some theories behind why that is, and I'm you can name a you can name probably five different theories on why that is, and you'd be correct on all of them, probably. <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you, uh, this is a question I had written down. Would you contribute the youth movement more to technology training or Tiger? Uh, I'd put Tiger last on that list. I would say um, I'd say the youth movement would be more towards technology and one in particular, TrackMan. TrackMan's been the, the one, single most, single biggest technological advance in golf, in my humble opinion, uh, since uh, uh, since the golf ball 
change in 2003. Um, and uh, the drivers. Now, the drivers in 2003 weren't up to the ball. The ball hasn't changed since 2003. When titles came out with the Pro V1X, that changed everything. Changed mm. everything, without a doubt. Okay? But the drivers weren't up to snuff. The drivers couldn't couldn't unload what that ball could really do. Now the technology and the drivers are are such probably within the last two three years to where they it can really take advantage of that of that ball. Then you talk about now then you you throw in there on top of that you throw in training proper training proper diet and these guys train like athletes and live like proper athletes now and do the things for their bodies like proper athletes. And then now you've got a, now you've got young stud athletes who could have played a lot of different sports and been good at them, like baseball or basketball um, or tennis in uh, in some key, guys uh, in some people's cases. Um, and and now you've got lots of speed combined with phenomenal equipment combined with now the coup de gras, in my opinion, which is track band yep. on top of all this to be able to self-diagnose and optimize to the nth degree, to the nth degree. Um, and then after that, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weapon for these guys like no other in the fact that it gives you confidence knowing you're doing the right thing because a number equates to something. You can, you can, everything's measurable and you know what good is based on a number. This is how these guys are learning these days. Um, and I, I have a, a very good, uh, a, a good friend whose son, who's like a, who's like a, a younger brother to me, who just signed with the University of Alabama, and he's going to go play for Alabama, Frankie Sappen, who they just got a track man, and the amount, the amount of how much better he's gotten with his wedge play in the last two months since he got that track man is astounding. When we go play, astounding, because he just works on his wedges constantly. He went from being a and not very good wedge player, even by top junior standards, to a phenomenal wedge player by junior standards, collegiate standards, and maybe even low-level professional standards. You know, web.com tour, uh, Canadian tour standards, like within two months because of TrackMan. Yeah, I, I feel like JT is like the ultimate like TrackMan test case where you've got this 150-pound guy but he swings it so efficiently and like optimizes the launch so he hits it so high and so far but i mean like what you just said about the wedge play I mean, that's what the game has turned into is if if you're a high level player if you drive it well and wedge it well and putt well you're going to be a great player yeah i i think that i think that i don't even know that you need to drive it that well in my humble opinion, Andy, Far. I, I honestly think that the, the biggest stat for me for guys that, that drive it over 300 yards is distance from the edge of the fairway. You know, how, how can you keep it between the white, the white stakes? Can you keep it between the tree lines? If you can do that and you hit it 300 plus on every tee shot, you're going to have a lot of short iron opportunities. So at that point, it becomes about basically your iron play. You're 175 yards in in play, 150 yards in in play, and how good are you from from that from that from every different scenario in the rough, out of the fairway, in the first cut? How well can you control your ball? JT does a phenomenal job of that. Tiger does a phenomenal job of that, and always has throughout his career. Um, 
And so the game's changed. And I, I believe that that the single most important factor on the PGA Tour, quite honestly, in my opinion, is iron play. Yep. Is second shot performance, is approach shot performance. I think that that's one of the biggest determining factors of giving yourself a chance to win week in and week out. You know, as long as you keep the ball within the uprights, so to speak, it's all about the iron play, quite honestly. You don't have to hit every fairway. Now, obviously, as you get shorter, you know, you start driving it in that 285 to 295 range, in my humble opinion, you got to hit more fairways. And the shorter you get, the more fairways you got to hit because it gets increasingly more and more difficult the further back you get out of the rough. That's 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 a fact. So so the longer hitters have a massive advantage as long as they can, like I said, keep it between the uprights somewhat. You, you parlayed perfect into a discussion of uh, with Tiger, who led the field in uh, iron proximity, approach proximity last week. Yeah. And that was obviously like the thing that got lost with Tiger is he's probably the greatest iron player of all time. What, what are your thoughts on Tiger's play and moving forward? Uh, I think he's right where he needs to be. He just needs more reps, quite honestly. Uh, the fact that in his third tournament back in, in real competition, I'm, I'm not really going to use the hero as a litmus test for him. <laughs> um, I'd have to say in his third tournament back to lead the field in proximity to the hole on that golf course in those kind of blustery conditions is pretty amazing. goes to show you how much talent the man has. Uh, but it also goes to show you how much he understands what he needs to do with his body when it's healthy to get the club in the position he needs to get it into to hit the shots and create shots. He's a creative genius. And the fact that he's not using anybody for lessons except for himself right now, I love. Love, 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 love. He is the highest level of savant and creative genius that the PGA Tour maybe has ever seen, quite honestly, with his ability to create, create shots, to visualize, create shots. He has blended the technical and the artistic better than anybody in the history of the game, in, again, in my opinion. Um, and I think that if he's allowed to do that continually and he allows himself to do that, uh, he's going to be right where he needs to be, and he's going to uh, give himself opportunities to win tournaments again. The putter looks good. Um, the sh short game, I walked with him for all four days at Torrey Pines. It was flat-out amazing because any other normal human being on the PGA <laughs> Tour would have missed that cut. Yeah. Um, Tiger finishes like T20-something, which was, again, amazing. Um, and for, considering where he was hitting that driver. And so... Uh, I, I the prospects for him are looking up again, just reps. It's the competitive flow, cadence, routine, process, reps. Everything he talks about, the people go blah, 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 and the writers just want to pull their hair out. Unfortunately, to the writers, that's all true. Tiger's speaking the truth. Yeah. It's all about cadence, process, routine. Cadence, process, routine. Every professional golfer has a cadence, a process, and a routine. And it's getting back into that competitively that makes you who you are. He just needs to get back to that. And once he does, I think the stuff's going to start falling. Uh, I think everything's going to start falling into place, and he's going to give himself opportunities on the back nine to win golf tournaments. He was really close this week. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with the reps thing. Like, I, I'm nowhere near Tiger, but as a mid-am, 
like I play competitively and every year, like my first tournament out, I shoot like mid to upper seventies. And I'm like, how did I just shoot 77? I hit the ball so good. <laughs> like, yeah. but like, sure enough, like the next time out, it's it, it dramatically better. And it's just like, you're like almost like an idiot with scoring, you know, like you hit it well, yes. but like, it's just so you're, you're not in that mode. So, so like at a high PGA tour level, you got to imagine that the the amount of reps to get back into that form has got to be so high. Oh yeah. I mean that without health, he can't put the reps in. So that that's the biggest thing for tiger. But he, since he basically missed a year, he's got a, he's got a, he, he said it best. And I agree with him 100% is that he's got to find out what his body is going to allow him to do. Cause he didn't know he's in uncharted territory, you know, for himself. He doesn't know what that fusion is going to do. And what it's going to allow him to do and not allow him to do. But if he can create pretty good sign that he can create 124 mile an hour clubhead speed, that he's healthy and that he could do what he needs to do and he can put the work in. Um, you know, he told me about his, we were talking on the fairway in San Diego at one hole, and he's got a pretty extensive regimen after the, every round to get his body recovered. And that's no different than, you know, quite honestly, me now. Uh, I understand where he and I are the same age. I understand what my body feels like after a round of golf and I don't swing at 124 miles an hour <laughs> and I don't have a fused back. Yeah. So I know exactly what he's talking about there. I mean, my hand hurts from all the surgeries. Uh, my low back's a little sore, no doubt. Um, but, but he's going to be diligent. He's going to do what he needs to do because this is what he loves to do and he loves to compete. And there's no doubt that, uh, that if he's able to put the reps in, healthy reps in that he's going to give himself opportunities to win golf tournaments this year, whether he gets one or not, boy, it'd be hard for me to bet against him. Quite honestly, uh, from what I've seen, you know, I think the biggest thing was health. Was he going to be able for me? Was he going to be able to do it healthy? Was he, was the back going to be his new 100%, which might be, you know, his old 70, you know, his, he might be 75% of what he used to be or 80% of what he used to be. Okay, health wise, but but it's his new 100 percent. As long as he can swing a golf club without pain, that's all I was concerned about. Now he can put the work in to get back if he has the desire to get it. And I think he has the desire to get it back. And that's you know, that's the other big thing is the desire. So now he can start taking proper steps and getting himself in into the hunt on Sunday. And then it's basically now then it gets to the point was to does he still have the killer instinct? Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen him right, right there yet. Does he have that old killer instinct? Now, some people are going to say, oh, come on, Aaron. Of course he does. Uh, not so fast. This is a different tiger. This is a different guy than it was in 2006, 7, 8, you know, and 9. And then he had the personal problems and so on and so forth. And that changes guys in a way. And so, you know, does he have that same killer instinct that he once had, or is he going to have to find a kind of a different way to get that killer instinct to win? I think that's a question that still has to be answered because he hasn't put himself in that in that crucial position yet with an with a serious opportunity to win with a back down on Sunday. We're talking like one back to to tied to in the lead with nine holes to go. Mm-hmm. My cousin asked me this yesterday, and I I was like, "Whoa, I don't I don't know, over or under 
1.5 wins this year. For Tiger? Yeah. Oh, I'll go over because I do believe he's – I do. I really do believe he can get one. I really do. I think he can get one. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and say, oh, it's going to be a major. I'm not – I'm not there yet, but you got to also look at the fact that, and I got to temper myself a little bit because I'm excited for what I see for him too, but he also is still playing a very difficult schedule where mm-hmm. he's playing against the best players, like his old schedule, where he was the best playing against the best week in and week out. Tory, uh, Riv, uh, Honda, and he's not in the WGCs yet, but Bay Hill, don't know what that feels going to look as of now. Then you got the Masters. Uh, and Memorial, you know, I mean the players. So, I mean, yeah. he's, he's playing kind of still of his, his old type schedule that are very difficult golf courses, very demanding golf courses against the best players where, where most of the best players there, where there, where there are a lot of top 50 players playing, you know, we, we called it back in the day. There was, seems like then there still is to a certain extent, but when Tiger was playing his best, there was the Tiger tour as I called it. And then the other, the regular tour. And the Tiger Tour was all the events that he was at. And he was always playing the best events against the best fields on the hardest venues for the most part. And so um, – and he's kind of doing the same thing now. So that might that might be – it might be a little tougher for him, but I think he can get one. So I, I've got an article that is probably going to come out the day we release this podcast. And it's, it's kind of about the WGCs. We're talking about the best events in the world. Like I'm kind of just let down by the WGCs. And I'm curious what your thoughts are because of the golf courses they play and the fact that it's not really a world golf championships because they, they don't really visit any other parts of the world other than the U S and China and Mexico. Yeah. Um, I think you got to go with the sponsorship dollars. Yeah. You got to go, man. I mean, I mean, to be quite frank, uh, you know, um, money, money talks, and in this in this world, to be quite honest, you know, if if you had control over where you could go, you know, and money was and, and the guy with the money said, here's all the money for the if any guy, any guy who cares who it is goes, you know what? I want it to go to one of the greatest old golf courses, a, a 20s gem, you know, let's go play at the Montecito Club. Yeah. <laughs> go play a WGC at the Montecito club or let's go play a WGC at Riv in the summertime where it would play firm and fast and it'd be phenomenal. Um, you know, or a WGC, God forbid at Pebble beach in the summertime. Oh my gosh. In August or September, uh, you know, it's a scheduling issue. It's a money issue. There are so many things that go into that, Andy. Yeah, um, I'm that, obviously cognizant of this of the sponsorship oh, you, thing. You but, are, yeah. But like, it, I but, think but it does. It is a little bit of a it is a little bit of a downer that they don't play as good at golf courses, and that um, you know Austin Country Club is cute and it's and it's fun and it's a you know I think it's a Pete Dye, right? Yeah, it's a Pete Dye. It's a, it's a good yeah. match play course. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great match play place. I'd never want to play a stroke t- play tournament there, but it's a pretty cool match play place. Um, but I, the, the biggest thing that the biggest issue that I have with, with WGCs, um, I used to have a big issue with the fact that there's, there, there's, it's, it's not at least 132 man field like Phoenix where there's a, I, I mean, if you're going to play against the best, you know what, make it the top 100 in the world, throw in 32 guys from their respective money lists 
you know, South African tour, Australasia tour, Asian tour, Japan tour, you know, do that for sure. European tour, do all that for sure. But have, I always thought, have a cut, man. Make it legit. Have a cut. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, and then there's something to think about. But you know, again, made for TV. They want the stars there all four days, so on and so forth. It, it, it's you know, I, I could sit here and talk about this till I'm blue in the face. But I would like to see it travel more around the world. But yeah. guys, again, my, a lot of guys around the world are home based here. They don't want to travel. My my thing with the like the sponsorship thing is all right. If I'm if I'm going to go to a sponsor, and I, I I used to sell sponsorships for a living. Like if I was going to say, hey, like this event's going to draw like major championship eyes because we've got the best hundred players in the world playing at Royal Melbourne and in, in Australia during prime mm-hmm. time television. Like awesome. the, the effects of the increased exposure as opposed to like, Hey, you know, we're going to do it on Sunday after Sunday afternoon at uh Firestone, which is probably one of the most boring golf courses to watch oh. golf be played at like the increased in in ratings and digital exposure like in today's world are so great for playing at a great golf course like riviera gets great ratings and is gets a ton of buzz exactly people want to see the best players in the world play the the most storied best golf courses in the world (laughs) if you like i said if you put a wgc at pebble oh my gosh it, it might blow doors because, first of all, there's not one guy that's going to say, ah, I don't want to show up. Yeah. Everybody's showing up in the top 50 unless they're injured. OK, and I bet you some guys try to play injured. <laughs> so you Firestone. Yeah, I, I need the gif whenever I hear Firestone and play in Firestone and you talk about it that way. I need the gif of the cartoon character continually hitting himself in the head with a hammer, yeah. you know, over and over and over again, because that's what it's like to play Firestone. It's just it's it's boring and, and it and it beats you up on a regular basis, but more so that's just boring. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see it change venues. I'd like to see I'd like to see the WGCs change countries more often and play more great of the great golf courses around the world. And the reason they could do that if they wanted to is um, if you're going to maintain 75 to 78 player fields. It's not an issue of infrastructure because, or at least practice facilities, I would think, because most, even, hell, even San Francisco Golf Club's range could practically fit a, uh, you know, a, a, a WGC field on it. Yeah. You know, so, um, and so I, I would say that, uh, I would say that that, that could be possible, but there, you know, as well as I do, there are so many more moving parts to that that uh we don't have time to discuss here yeah yeah i uh, i go into a lot of detail but it's uh i i just think it would be such a cool cool thing if if the wgc's you keep an keep an event in asia you have a rotating event in the british islands and then you have an event that kind of or you know maybe it's the british isles south africa and australia rotate every year and you keep an event in in uh in mexico and south america and then the u.s has one event like how cool would that be i think it'd be awesome the only issue is obviously well here's the issue that i see i see the scheduling and then the golf course um scheduling um southern hemisphere wintertime summertime sort of thing with southern southern northern hemisphere kind of thing yep um 
uh, it, it, you know, I think more than anything, Travel, even too. more so than sponsorship money, I think it's a scheduling thing, Andy, quite, yeah. quite honestly, is um, where are you going to put those events? The other, you know, yeah, it kind of screws over the event before and totally. after. Especially because if guys have got to go to South Africa, I, I talked to Trevor Immelman. He does that trip he, and a lot. <laughs> he knows, I've, I, he said it's brutal. You know, and obviously I've, I've, I've been uh, the man on the ground in Asia for the Asian events the last three years. And for, for Golf Channel, and I can tell you what the travel is like to go over there. It sucks. Um, it's fun when you get there, but it's it's hell getting there. And then Australia is no different than South Africa from what my friends tell me. I've never been down there, but it's a long trip too. Um, British Isles wouldn't be too bad. Guys on the West Coast would struggle a little more than the guys on the East Coast, uh, of the United States, that is. Um, but, yeah, we used to play at the Grove, which was, funny enough, a, a Kyle Phillips design mm-hmm. um, for the WGC Amex. Back in the day, uh, last year it was there. I think it was 06 was the last year it was there when Amex had the sponsorship, and um, it was uh, it was an okay golf course. Tiger ran rough shot over the field, shocking. <laughs> um, but uh, but at least they 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 took it to some place different. And but the reason they don't is for that reason alone. I think right there, if you could pinpoint on one thing, Andy, it's the field before would get killed and the field after would get killed. Mm-hmm. And these tournament directors just don't want that to happen, and I don't blame them. Yeah, that that makes sense. I I mean, it it would be the scheduling side of things is the most yeah. difficult aspect of it. Um, so, with uh, since you've moved from playing to the booth, like, how has your perspective of golf changed? Oh, it looks a lot easier. <laughs> it looks a lot. These guys are so good, and it's it's you know I don't remember it being this easy or looking this easy the way the guys make it look. And and there are times I'm sure that I made it look easy myself. Uh, I think we all do as professionals at at some point in our careers. Um, But um, I find myself for at times admittedly forgetting how hard it is. Um, And maybe at times being, um, I don't think I'm overly critical of, of guys at times. I think I, I think I, I think I balance it out fairly well. Um, but I, there's sometimes where I think about, it, I, I go, ah, you know what? I say something and I think about it and then, you know, on the commercial break and I'll sit there and go, you know what? That was a lot harder than it, than, than, than I made it sound. And I, I need to, I need to respect how hard it is to hit some of the shots that these guys hit and they pull off. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I you, you lose perspective, I think to a certain extent when you've been away from playing at the highest level an amount of time. But it's something that's going to happen to all of us because you can't play at the highest level for forever. So it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting balance that Golf Channel has to, has to deal with with players because no player comes right off the golf course. They've got the knowledge and the understanding and so on and so forth. But they're so raw on TV, they don't understand the, the mechanics of television. So they're usually not very good on TV until they learn the mechanics. Um, and when and how to say things and so on and so forth, but they've got fantastic information. That's the, that's the double-edged sword. You know, that's the, that's the, the thing where you're like, oh, this guy's, he understands perfectly because he was just there. But as you grow into this, into the role, you start understanding mechanics and when to say things and when not to say things and how to put things and how to do highlights properly. And the mechanics become easier, but then you, you tend to forget how freaking hard the game is at times. <laughs> And, and you, and you can tend to be a little harsher than you should be with some of the guys. So that striking that balance 
is is important for me as an analyst, whether I'm doing live golf or I'm doing studio golf. Um, and making sure doing live golf is huge for me because it helps me understand on a weekly basis what these guys go through on a regular basis. Because I'm out there and I see the shots and I see the lies and I'm right there on the ground. I hear the conversations between the caddies and the players. Um, I see the looks on their faces when the cameras aren't there and you can't see them on television. You know, I, I, and, and that brings me back and helps me to understand what these guys are going through um, on a regular basis. Cause as players, we've all been there. Yeah. It's I perspective. I, so what, what shot do you think is like the most underappreciated shot that pros like make look so easy? Great question. Um, golly, I think it's all dependent upon kind of at, from, from a player's perspective. Um, I was never a good fader of the golf ball. I was always a, you know, my, my fade was a two yard fall to the left. <laughs> so, so I, I think that I, I think that for me, whenever I stand up and watch a guy hit an effortless bomb fade like Rom or Dustin, and it just doesn't come down and it's the sweetest little 10 yard fall to the right with the driver. I'm like, Oh God, that looks so easy. Why can't I do that? For, you know, from my perspective, I look at that and I'm in awe because I could never do that all that well. But for the average Joe sitting at home, 10 handicap, five to, well, let's say five to 15 handicap, and the guys that I play with that I played with in pro-ams, I'd have to say um, the, the most underrated shot, uh, golly, you know, the, the, <laughs> the medium trajectory this is going to get real golfy. The medium trajectory mid mid yardage spinner with the wedge. Kind of like JT hit last night. Exactly. <laughs> uh, kind of like that. But I see that you, a guy a guy hit a pat, bad drive. He's got to play. Now he's got to make a U.S. Open style par. He pitches out from the rough a la Torrey Pines. Um, and he's got 75, 85 yards. And the pin's tucked front over a bunker. And he throws this gorgeous medium trajectory spinny little floater in there that just comes down like a butterfly with sore feet. One hop stop comes back maybe three or four feet to inside 10 feet and make it for par. That is an underrated skill on the PGA Tour. Underrated. Those, those are just underrated pars too because those are the oh, pars yeah. that just keep your round going and Boy, that always get round, lost. I call them round savers and they are absolute round savers. Those That, t that, that 8 to 15 footer you got to make for par because you've hit it in a, in a, in a dog awful spot. So, you know, um, they're all round savers, but that shot in particular, I watch amateurs struggle with that time and time and time again. They, they just can't, they can't hit it. They can't hit it. It's a very underrated shot. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen 10 handicaps hit the most beautiful lob shots and I go, Whoa, that's pretty cool. You know, from a 10 handicap. But none of them can hit that floater, that medium spinny floater <laughs> that's from a, 75, 85 yards. That's a, that shot, and then I feel like when I see a guy, another shot I love, I always look at like with younger kids when I play in these amateur events is like, I know I, I'm playing with a kid that like say he's a high schooler that really knows how to play when he takes two extra clubs into the wind and hits like a choke, a little choke flighter. As opposed yes. to just trying to taking an extra club and hitting it hard and spinning it up. Yes, yes. And guys, 
And, you know, it's funny. You, you come back to – now we come back to the young kids on tour and how their games evolve. Totally. That's how I can tell. Jason Day, what did he, what did he do when he came out on tour, Andy? Yeah. Everything was nuke. Yeah. Take one lesson, nuke it. Didn't yeah. matter what the wind was doing. Take one lesson, nuke it. JT, same thing. Take one lesson, nuke it. Now both those guys have developed soft arm shots, mm-hmm. you know, and that's – you have to have those shots if you want to win major championships, period. Tiger – Tiger talks about it. You watch, all you need to do is just go back and look at any of the 14 majors Tiger won and just fast forward through all the days and just have them cut out all of the shots of everybody else and just watch Tiger's shots and watch how many half swings that or three-quarter swings that guy makes. A ton. A ton. You got to have them. Three-quarter cut shots, three-quarter draw shots. You got to have them. Yeah, especially in bad conditions like wet, wind. I mean, if you if you don't have that shot, Absolutely. you're dead. All right, we're we've already you know we've covered like half of what I wanted to get through. So I, w- I want to get into some uh, overrated, underrateds, and uh, and we'll, um, so overrated, underrated, the idea of masters prep. Uh, prep in what regard? Like, you know, well, he's he's prepping for Augusta by playing here or he's prepping for Augusta by doing that. Oh, like, dude, that's overrated. <laughs> you can't prep for Augusta by playing a certain <laughs> golf course. No way. That's BS. No chance. Nothing prepares you for what that golf course is going to throw at you. Geez, nothing prepares you for the way the golf course changes from Wednesday to Thursday in, in the span of eight hours. I mean, th- they can turn the screws on that thing at any time. It's just forget about it, kids. Never moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's it's funny. I, I talked to Stuart Hagestad. He said totally he overrated. said he said the same thing about how much the golf course changes from Wednesday to Thursday. It, it all of us do. It, it did when I played it. It mean it's just like all of us Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday. You go out for went. You go out for a Tuesday practice round. You're like, oh okay, hitting the shots, hitting the shots, seeing the ball the way the ball reacts. Okay, I got this. Wednesday, kind of the same deal. You play nine holes because they close the golf course down. Um, early, you go play the par three, you wake up the next morning, you hit your first shot into one and you're like, Oh shit. What happened? On- honestly, that's exactly your reaction. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, all right. So overrated masters prep. Um, so what about, uh, 18 hole playoffs? Timely uh, one. You know, um, for our nation's championship, I'm going to say they're they're underrated. And I'm going to get totally outvoted on this one. Um, but it was something spe- – there was something special about an 18-hole um, Monday playoff for the toughest test in golf. And I'm hoping the USGA gets back to that, the toughest test in golf. Because, I, I, I mean, listen, I was a player. I bitched about how difficult Oakmont was in 07 and complained. And, and you know what, that's just part of it. And I want to hear players do that again, (laughs) because I don't hear, I don't hear enough complaining. And when I hear, when I start hearing more complaining, that's when I know we've gotten back to the toughest test in golf. But I think that an 18 hole playoff on Monday is worthy of the toughest test in golf for our nation's championship. Quite honestly, some people would say, ah, no, it's not, you're not going to get the, you know, and now they probably, they, obviously, you know, the news, they changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a two hole aggregate. And I understand why they did that. Um, and, um, I'm sure it'll be great. It'll be fine. They'll finish it on Sunday, which there's positives to that, but I'll, I will miss the 18 hole 
I will miss the 18 hole waking up the next morning and, you know, turning on the TV and sitting down or guys in the office watching it on their, you know, in 08, watching it on their computers or wherever they could turn on a TV and watching it. Um, there's something special about that too, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I just, I don't like the two hole. Like how did you get two? I honestly think they wanted to be different, Andy, because <laughs> you got a three hole aggregate in the PGA. You got a four hole aggregate in the open. I, I just think they wanted to be different. That's my humble opinion. If they come up, they give me an, an, if they give me an answer that I can, that I can believe and they're not just selling me something, <laughs> I'll, I'll buy it. But in my humble opinion, I, yeah. I just think they needed something different. They just wanted to be different than the other, than the other two majors. Well, they, three majors. you know, they probably did some, some big study that nobody ever saw the results of except for a few people. Uh, that's a good point. That's a um, good point. Yeah, so I, I I'm I, I think every go- every golf fan secretly wishes for Monday playoff eighteen holer. Yeah, yeah, I think I think all the all of us golf nerds who are who are true golf nerds like myself. I mean, I dig that. I mean, I I loved it. I loved I loved watching the one, um, you know, Scott Simpson and Payne Stewart. Yeah, um, I remember that one. Um, Tiger Rocco, Hale Irwin, Mike Donald. When, these are one when I was a kid, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, loved it. So Tiger Rocco, obviously, is yeah. going to be the last one. So um, I, I, I'll, I'll miss that. It'll, it'll be we'll, we're losing some nostalgia. You know, well we'll we'll have nostalgia now for that, but we're losing a little bit. It, I think we're losing a little bit not having an 18 hole well, Monday it, playoff, in my opinion. It's just an odd thing that like there's so much about tradition and history, and like this is one of like the the staples and like one differentiator of the championship. And they're yeah, just like, you, yeah, we'll get rid of it. Yeah, but the the, the way the USGA is going, it's they're they're and and they're listening finally, which I give them so much credit for, because they're listening to the pros, they're listening to the people, they're listening, and they're they're modernizing, to a certain extent, they are, and and I appreciate them for that. Um, I just don't want them to modernize themselves to where the championship itself is unrecognizable. Like no offense to the great people at Aaron Hills. I don't want to see another U S open at Aaron Hills. I really don't. It's not a U.S. open golf course, great PGA course, maybe even a Ryder cup course, but it's, it's a P it, that's a PGA championship style golf course, not a U.S. open style golf course. We need to stick to U S open 1920s. greats. We need to stick to Riv, Pebble, Shinnecock, um, Beth Page, Black, even though I don't think they're going to go back there now because I think that's more of a PGA-type course. Um, Marion. You know, Marion. Yeah, we need to stick to the old guard, in my opinion, um, and not trick them up. So Play like a, the way they were meant to be played. So like a, there should be a U.S. Open Rota just like the Open Rota. Absolutely. There should be a U.S. Open Rota. Don't, don't just take some dude's, you know, cash if that's the way it's happening and and – and go to some place just because you want to be different. Stick to Olympic clubs. Stick to stick to the greats. Stick to the greats. The ones that have stood the test of time. I think the um, other thing, other thing that does is it it adds value to the viewer because like two of the most popular t- events on TV are the players and the masters, and they're, because they're played at the same course year in year out, big events, and they have like. Like people remember the finishes yeah. at those places and the the holes. Exactly. So so 
So how cool is it that every five years, you know, you're going back to St. Andrews for the most part. It doesn't stink. It doesn't stink. You look forward to every five years we're going to be at St. Andrews. Or for me, this year, Carnoustie. I love Carnoustie. Um, some people might have an affinity with Muirfield. You know you're going back to Muirfield. Well, I don't know anymore, but 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 maybe, <laughs> hopefully, we're going back to Muirfield. Or maybe some guys are a, you're a Lytham and St. Anne's guy. So, you know, you know you can count on certain ones in that open rota, and I'd love for the USGA to do that with the great old golf courses in the United States. And, 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 and quite honestly, I would love, my humble opinion, I would love East Coast, West Coast, East Coast, West Coast, bounce back and forth each year. I don't know if there's enough courses for that, though, on the West Coast. Well, but, but remember, if it's a rota, you're fine. Yeah. So if you do, if you do Tory, uh, Tory, Riv, um, LACC. LA Country Club, or, or I don't know if you could do both of those. You probably have to do one or the other. Um, Pebble, uh, Olympic. So you've got, what is that? Four or five courses just on the West coast. Yeah. Now, now you do four or five on the East coast. So now you have eight to 10. Maybe you can add a couple more. There's more on the East coast. Yeah. Way you know, more. Maybe on you the can get up to 12 golf courses, but if you bounce back and forth or every two, every two years, instead of every other year or every three years, every third year, you come back to a West coast course. I think that'd be cool. You know, you, I I, uh, I have to say you're just dissing the Midwest just because I'm a oh, Midwesterner. If, if, if I didn't if I didn't say something, I was going to hear some heat from that. <laughs> you're right. I, I don't mean to diss the Midwest. But, but I but we don't. I don't know if we really have a great golf course for that in the Midwest. I'm trying like, to think of Inver- Chicago. Inverness uh, with the redesign could be one. Yeah, is that too short though? Still, I don't. I think it's seventy four, seventy five hundred oh, yards. Oh, that'd work for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I didn't realize they added that much length to it. I'm not. I'm um, not positive though. It it might only be seventy. I haven't. I haven't been out there yet. So, but yeah, we don't. Lots of great, obviously, there's lots of great ones in Chicago, but you know, you. But I mean, Olympia Fields. I I was there for the ladies KPMG, um, PGA Championship last year, and the guys would turn that into a pitch and putt now. Yeah. From the back, even from the back tees, they're just they they ran out of real estate, and that that's obviously leads to another discussion about the ball, <laughs> but and the and technology. But um, that's a, that's a future pod. I, I had it on my pod, list yeah, of topics, yeah. and that's not gonna we're not getting into that. We're not gonna get there today. Yeah, no, <laughs> but that's that. Yeah, but I agree. I think there needs to be a rotation. I think that the USGA said in a rotation. I think that 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 would be that would be fantastic, actually. Yeah, and it would be good weather in all those places for it. Like for the most part, you can still get the occasional stoppage of play on the East Coast, but yeah. the West Coast smooth sailing. Uh, you might have to worry about a fog delay here and there, but nothing major. The West Coast would be so great with it finishing at like nine o'clock. Exactly. That's what I my argument all the time for West Coast events is: Hey guys, TV people on prime, prime time on the on the East Coast, you know. For a West Coast event, and I, I think TV digs West Coast events, but the one thing you don't have to worry about, like I said, other than fog, and you can get the fog at at, at, at Olympic or at Pebble or at uh, Torrey in yeah. June. June gloom. Uh, there's no doubt. June gloom. There's no doubt. Um, but other than the fog, you're not getting lightning and you're not getting rain. So, um, you know, and the fog is somewhat rare to a certain extent. Um, so weather delays would be few and far between in my opinion. Yeah. So, so, uh, last overrated, underrated, and this was going to be a topic, but 
we're we're just gonna throw it in here. The resurgent Phil Mickelson. Oh God, I always think Phil's underrated. <laughs> he's just he's so good. I mean, the guy astounds me. Um, he's amazing. Um, definitely underrated. Um, I think that uh, at 47, almost 48 years old, to be able to still swing it between 116 and 120 miles an hour is incredible, yeah. in my opinion. It's a testament to his. It's a testament to his desire to continue to work and find things to get better at which is hard to do at 47, 48. Um, Cause I know there are plenty of guys in their early to mid forties that are having a hard time doing that. Um, but um, and maybe even late thirties having a hard time trying to figure out, you know, motivation to go out there and work on things. But uh, you know, his hernia surgeries really set him back speed wise. And I didn't know if he was able to ever able to get to be able to get, all that speed back from those hernia surgeries and lo and behold, he's been able to get a lot of it back. And, uh, he's that's hitting, a big it, thing hitting it longer than he ever hit it before in his career. I know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's, a, a lot of it's, you know, listen, yeah. you can't discount technology for both him and tiger technology's helping both those boys. There's no doubt the optimization of the ball in the club and the shaft club head in the shaft without a doubt track man helping those boys big time. Um, but, but they still got to get in the gym and get it done and put put in hours and hours of work on their bodies at 40, you know, 42 and 47 years old in Phil's case. And so, um, you know, um, I'm all in on a Phil resurgence. It's just a matter of can he put it all together? You know, it's all it's been it's one thing each week so far. He's so close, but it's one thing each week. It's 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 either as and and luckily a short game and his putting's been there pretty much every week, which in your forties that's usually the first thing that goes. You get a little you know yippity doodah around the greens with the with the putter and the wedges at times. Phil not not even showing zero signs of that, um, and uh, but he's just either struggled a little bit off the tee or he struggled with the irons. So if he can if he can find a week where he puts those two things together, he can win. Yeah, There's no doubt he can win. I kind of am feeling this week. It's at altitude. He's always played really well at altitude because and he the, doesn't have to hit a lot of drivers in. Yeah, and the ball goes straighter. A good thing in altitude. Well, that might not be a good thing for him actually. Yeah, <laughs> he likes he likes to see it curve. So one thing about altitude that I think that's that that is actually if we're doing underrated or overrated is underrated. The one thing about altitude, it's hard to curve the ball. Yeah, at altitude because there's less. Guys who really like to curve it, like Bubba and those guys, and like to work the ball, those guys might struggle a little bit in Mexico. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. But that's kind of one of my, you know, hypotheses, hypotheses, if you will, or, or theories that I have with guys. So if Phil can adjust to that, yeah, there's no doubt he can he can win Mexico. I think he won that like what international that used to get played at. Uh, he he did, yeah, he, he did. But that was, was that. How long ago? That, that was, was a long. Gosh, but he was in contention last year too. There. So yeah, I'm, he was. I'm, yeah. So I'm, maybe it's it's working for him. He understands exactly what he needs to do. So maybe maybe altitude is straightening his ball out for him. <laughs> I mean, and it's one of the things like, you know, he's like he thinks about all those different factors of a shot. Oh, I mean, it's perfect for can him. You, can you I wish there was a thought bubble <laughs> on television above Phil's head filled with all the stuff that's going through it when as he's trying to calculate yardages. That would be classic. 
That'd be fantastic because the, the, the permutations and the algorithms that have to be going through his head to, to get it, to, to get all this stuff done. And I, honestly, I think it's going to be less with his brother, with Tim on the bag than it was with Bones. I almost think Bones gave him too much information, even though Phil wanted it. I don't think he needed it all. I think it, I think that he, he, I don't think Tim gives him all of that, quite honestly. Maybe Phil does. Maybe Phil doesn't want it, but it sure doesn't seem like it. I don't hear the same conversations with Tim and Phil as I did with Bones and Phil. Bones, Bones was an enabler. <laughs> yeah, Bones was an enabler. I love it. I love it. So, um, all right, last question, and then we'll get you out of here. All, all you need to give four names. Who are our major champions this year? Oh well, let's see. I'm gonna go. Uh, gosh, it's hard for me to go against statistics. Uh, at the Masters, so I'm going to go based on what Justin Ray sent me, and I can, I'm not going to name him off, but I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Justin Rose at the Masters. God, I hope he putts well because that, yeah. that's pretty much all he needs to do there. Um, and let's see, I'm going to go a U.S. Open Shinnycock. I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Spieth at the U.S. Open. All right. Uh, I think he gets his second U.S. Open. I think that's going to be a great golf course for him. Very creative and going to move the ball around a lot. And short game is going to be required and grinding is going to be required. I think the, the USGA is going to get back to a more traditional U.S. Open setup. Um, but still, I think they're going to allow you some angles. They're not going to allow you all the angles you usually get at Shinnecock, but they're going to allow you a few more. Um, let's see. Carnoustie. Ooh boy, you need a ball striker. Yeah, you gotta bring you your big a, boy uh, yeah, pants. You, got, you there. better bring your. Yeah, you gotta bring the. You gotta bring a. It's gotta be a big boy at Carnoustie, <laughs> I think. Um, oh, let's see, Sergio. You know, no, you know I, th- that's the obvious choice, obviously, for what happened in 07. But oh gosh, this is hard. I'm gonna go with John Rom. That's that's a good pick. I'm gonna go with John Rahm. Uh, he still he still he's still raw and he's got a, a little ways to go. But on a golf course like that, where ball striking is paramount, I mean, you gotta nut it around that place. I like John Rahm, um, especially when the weather can turn on a dime. Yeah, um, like it did in 07 when I was there. Uh, let's see, Bell Reeve. Uh, so uh, it's, you got Fowler, your Fowler gets off the Schneid. Yeah, that's it. Bell Reeve. That'd be yep. a good place for him. It's uh, yep. that'll be a soft, soft and slow golf course. Yeah, and my my other choice after him was going to be Rory, because it is going to be soft and slow, and Rory's won all his majors on soft, slow golf courses. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I but I but I like I like Ricky to get off the Schneid there, and and get the get get his get his first major. He's kind he he's got to he's got to get one eventually it's 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 gotta happen i mean it, it'd be it'd be a shame if it if it never did i think he's got the talent to do it and he's got the game to do it he's just got to do it yeah and i i think bell reeve is is just as good as any place for him but i think it gives him an opportunity fairways are a little wider as you said it's going to play a little softer um and so i think a lot i think the the firm fast bouncy rolly stuff is is uh isn't, isn't going to be there and it's going to protect some of maybe the occasional wild shot that he's capable of hitting even though he's been very very good with staying away from big numbers of late which has uh, always been kind of a, his achilles heel in the past thanks for coming on we really uh, appreciate it and uh what do you got up uh next for golf channel so our uh, listeners can uh, tune in and catch you on tv I, i'll be with uh, i'll be with the champions tour guys pj tour champions guys at uh tucson 
this week. I leave on uh, Thursday morning for, which will be tomorrow morning if everybody's listening to it. Um, Thursday morning with um, uh, down there for our production meeting. And then, uh, which is a nice, just about an hour and a half drive or so for me from Phoenix. And then I'll go the following week to Toshiba over in Newport Beach for the, the PGA Tour Champions as well. So next two weeks, PGA Tour Champions. I like that tour. It's a lot of fun. Love working with Lanny and John and John Cook and Billy Ray. They're just, just a great group of guys to work with and, and be around. Man, Tucson and, uh, and Newport Beach aren't two bad spots to, to get, no, have to hang no, out good. at. I'll, I'll get great Mexican food one week and great seafood the next week. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, big guy. Talk thanks. to you later, Andy. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you. 